That's true, isn't it? We are lost without God. Every breath of air we take is a gift from God. So why don't you take a moment right now and thank him, right where you're standing. Thank him for life. He chose to create you. Thank you for the years of life that he has blessed you with. Lord Jesus Christ, we are overwhelmed when we consider that you are the author of life in addition to the author of the universe and all that we've seen on the screen today. It's true, our very breath depends on you, O oh God. So right now, right where we stand, we have a moment to thank you and we have a moment, God, to invite you to touch us at the point in our lives where you know we need your touch. There's probably some folks in the room, God, who need your great encouragement today. Life has just been awfully difficult and heavy for them. Might be some folks who need your healing touch today, God. Might be some people who are here today and they've got questions that need answers. Relationships that need mending. Why don't you invite God into whatever it is that's going on in your life that needs the touch of God? Now, God, we have been worshiping you in truth and in spirit, and now we open our minds and our hearts asking you to speak into our lives with things that you know we need for the days to come. And we'll receive it, and we'll own it, and we'll seek to live it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated, friends, as I dismiss the children, the little ones, up through grade four to some adults who are ready to receive them. It's good for us to come together and worship, isn't it? At a very strategic moment in history, a man cried out and he said, God, unless your presence goes with us from this place, don't send us from here. You see that at the top of your notes in your worship folder, and if you'd open your Bible with me, you'll see it in Exodus chapter 33. I wonder when the last time was that you were in a situation where you said, God, I don't know if I can take one more step, if I can face one more day without you. I need powerful help from you, God, in going forward because the load of life is just so heavy. The complications of life are just so confusing. That's where Moses was in that moment in Exodus 33. You see it there in verse 15. If your presence does not go with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us, God? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. This summer, uh, we have been on a journey together as we've been considering how do we move from just being people who are trying to survive to being people who are getting caught up in being successful to being people who are truly embracing our significance. 
And this morning, built on the verse that I just showed you, I'd like to suggest that you find your true significance in part as you honor God's presence with you and in your life. Moses found himself in a very difficult situation. If you've been reading two chapters a day with us in our journey, yesterday you read Exodus 33 and 34, and this week you read about what took place up on the mountain when he was with God. And God had been explaining to him about how his people would be distinctive, different from all other peoples on the face of the planet. They would be generous people. And God had said the first thing to Moses, take an offering from the people, from the bounty of Egypt that they hauled out of Egypt and build a tabernacle for me, a place where I can come and dwell among my people and meet with them and they can meet with me. He he says in Exodus 29, "I, I brought you out of Egypt so that I could be with you. In fact, you remember that verse that I gave you a couple of weeks ago that that says that before the creation of the world, God was already thinking about you and me. And he was designing us to be a people who would live for the praise of his glory. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? He chose us in him before the creation of the world that we might be, exist, live for the praise of his glory. God was saying to Moses, that's what my people are going to be like. That's why I want to dwell among them. I want them to live with my presence there. He would said, I want them to set aside one day a week that would be a very special day to refocus on their relationship with me, reprioritize the things in their lives that need to be reprioritized so they can step back into the busyness of life. And I'll call it the Sabbath, a day of refreshment with God and then at the end of chapter 31 God says to Moses now take these tablets of stone inscribed by the very finger of God with great life principles called the Ten Commandments bring them with you because these will be distinctive from all other peoples on the face of the planet people don't normally live like this but if you'll live like this you'll be my people Moses had had an amazing 40 days with God, if you can imagine that. In contrast, the first verse of chapter 32, would you look at it with me? When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. You'll remember that's Moses' brother, and he was responsible for the spiritual leadership of the people. And the people said to Aaron, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, (laughs) we don't know what's happened to him. Isn't that us sometimes? We, We drift so quickly and so easily, don't we, from these significant times that we've had with God. These were people who had been rescued only a few weeks before by God himself with the ten plagues out of Egypt. They'd come through the Red Sea miraculously. They had eaten that morning from a manna delivery that had fallen from heaven. They were drinking water gushing out of a rock. But Moses had been gone for only a few weeks, and so easily they've gotten bored with God. Aaron, make us gods. Take us back to Egypt. We'd rather be slaves. Look how Aaron responds. Take off your gold earrings. Bring them to me. And he took, verse 4, what they handed him, and they made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf 
fashioning it with a tool. What kind of leadership is that? In your notes, you may have noticed that I wrote for you that sometimes there are rescued people like these who have not yet really had a transformed heart. And you can tell it when they drift easily like these people did. And I noted for you that without inspiring focus, people drift and they succumb to boredom, discouragement, despair, and even defeat. These are the same people you may remember. We saw it last week when they were at the mountain with God and they heard God's voice audibly speaking the Ten Commandments. They backed away from God. Moses, you go talk to God and you come back and tell us what God says. And when you backpedal away from God, you start adrift, don't you? And pretty soon the drift can turn into a downward spiral and you find yourself a long way from God. Sometimes leadership aren't providing leadership. And that's what happened here. And in my notes I put for you, without vision, <laughs> without God-reliance, leaders revert to their personal bias and agendas, confusion. and That's what happened to Aaron. Aaron didn't have the relationship with God that Moses did. And when the people needed him, he succumbed to the pressures of the people and he made them a golden calf God. It tells me there in verse 6, so the next day the people rose early and sacrificed to these, this golden calf. Then they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. The people now within only a few weeks were pretty far away from this people who were celebrating God and had said to him, God, we want to be your people. We really do and we'll do whatever you tell us to do in order to be your people. We trust you. Look what God says to Moses, verse 7. Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Wow. That's a pretty strong word. And in the next verse I see four things that you'll see on the screen and are in your notes because this happens to us if we're not careful. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. That first step in that downward spiral is turning away from God's truth and turning away from God, right? And when you do that, almost right away the next thing happens. They have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. When you turn away from God, you prioritize other things. You get passionate about other things. And then what happens is you actually worship those things. It says here, they have bowed down to that golden calf and sacrificed to it. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Turning away from God, prioritizing and getting passionate about other things and actually starting to worship those things, giving those things your full attention and finding yourself drifting further and further away from God. And then what happens is... <laughs> And they have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. A total rejection of God and a replacement of him with a golden calf. And you see what that is, is that's defining a new normal, which is distorted. Now, may I invite you to look at that? Because every single one of us in this room, we have a natural tendency to do that, don't we? We have a natural tendency to get very busy and to find our hearts and our minds drawn to other things and we drift away from God, prioritizing other things, starting to give those things our full attention and pretty soon we actually define a new normal that inverts or at least distorts reality. If I read it correctly on the news this morning, we now have a congressman for the first time in American history, a congressman who has married a man. That is becoming a new normal in some parts of America. Isn't that true? 
but that is an inversion, a distortion of God's design. Isn't that true? Now, that's not a political statement. That's a moral statement, a spiritual statement. And I'm calling us as a nation, having just celebrated our 236th birthday, take a close look. Where are there other places in our country, in the moral fabric of who we are, that we've done exactly that? And we're defining new normals now that are distorted. My, my wife Dawn and I don't watch very much primetime television. I couldn't name you one primetime television show in the last five years. But my guess is that what is now the new normal in primetime entertainment in America is a long ways away from where it once was. And my guess is that most of you wouldn't want your children and your grandchildren watching it, right? How did that happen? It didn't just immediately happen. It's a drift, isn't it, my friends? And God is calling us again, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I'll hear from heaven and I'll respond. I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal your land. It's us, my friends, and others like us all across the country who can take a close look at that and say, what about my family? Is my family turning away from God? Is my family prioritizing other things? Is my family worshiping things other than God? Is my family defining a new normal that is a distortion of God's reality? Huh? What about my neighborhood, my business, my community, my church, my friends, my nation? So God says, Moses, go down off this mountain and confront the problem. And so he did. And I want you to see with me a few things that can help you and me work our way back with God's help from this. Look at verse 21 of chapter 32. The first thing he did is he approached Aaron when he got down there. Aaron, I left you in charge when I left here. You're the leader, so what happened here? Now, don't be angry, Aaron says, verse 22. You, you know how prone these people are to evil. So they said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I thought I had a good idea, and I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off and bring it to me. They gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and do you see what it says next? Out came this calf. Can you believe that? Boy, there's a character flaw, isn't it, in a leader? Moses right there knew I've got a serious leadership problem in my organization here. If I'm going to lead these people, I've got to have a vice president that I can trust when I'm not here. But clearly I can't. The first step, my friends, out of this new normal which is distorted is ask the hard questions. How did we get here? If you find your family in that situation, call a family meeting Spouse, children, how did we get to this place where we're sitting watching television that's nothing but junk and we allow it in our homes? How did we get here? This drift didn't just happen. How did we get here? The second thing that Moses did is he says, I'm going back up to talk to God about this. I need to get God's perspective. Look at verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I'm going back up to God. Maybe I can make atonement for your sin. <laughs> Maybe I can negotiate with God about this. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ already did that? That when we need to go back to God, Jesus is our mediator. He's our advocate. He has already paid the full price, right? So that no matter how far we've drifted, 
He's ready to receive us and say, I've paid for it already. Welcome back. Let's fix the problem. Moses was saying, I need to go get God's perspective on this. God's perspectives were shocking. In the first verse of the the 33rd chapter, God says to Moses, Moses, leave this place. You and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, they're at Mount Sinai, remember? And you go up to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham. Verse 3, end of verse 3. But I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. Well, I'm sure that wasn't the answer that Moses was expecting. (laughs) But I think it was the right answer for that moment because Moses needed to be able to think about and he needed to be able to go back and talk to the people about what if, what if God treated us the way we deserve? (laughs) You folks have all turned away from him. You've replaced God with a golden calf. What if God turned his back and said, okay, you're on your own. Leave this mountain and I'm not going with you. And by the way, the manna that you're eating every morning, you just had your last breakfast. There will be no manna tomorrow. You're on your own. And the water that's gushing out of the rock, that's a desert out there, you're on your own. Good luck. And the cloud that's been over top of you as I've been guiding you, shielding you for the sun, (laughs) you're going to bake out there. No more cloud. And the pillar of fire at night that assures you that I'm here, my presence is here. No, encourage each other because I'm not going to be with you. When we get down to that bottom point, we define a new normal that's distorted, my friends. I wonder if God might be saying, America, think about what it would be like if I actually turned my back on you. Now, I don't know what your front yard is looking like these days, but mine looks like straw. My wife and I haven't been watering. I'm not a farmer, but my guess is my farmer, my farmer friends are really crying out to God. And we should be too because Wisconsin corn feeds the world. And there are starving children out there that are waiting for our corn. Why hasn't it been raining? I can't explain that. Could it be? Could it be? God might be saying to America... You think you can handle it all on your own? How long do you think you could last without rain? Now, I'm not saying that God is punishing America with no rain. What I'm saying is, occasionally, we have this desperate need to recognize what would life be like if God turned his back on us and said, I'm not helping you with anything. We couldn't last very long, could we? Moses, you you go back and tell the people, you're on your own now. I brought you out of Egypt. I rescued you from the slavery you were in. (laughs) I brought you here to the mountain. I've been feeding you every day and giving you more than enough water. I've given you everything you need, but you've chosen to turn away from me. So, okay, you're on your own. Leave this place, and I'm not going with you. Well, when Moses told the people, you can imagine how they responded. They were terrified at the thought. It tells me in verse 7 of chapter 33 that because of the encounters that Moses had had with God up the mountain and because no one else was going up the mountain with him, evidently God gave him this idea, put a tent just outside the camp and call it the tent of meeting and invite anyone to come and meet with God whenever they would like to because I love my people and I want to be available to my people. And so it says there that he built this little tent and anyone who desired to inquire of God could go into the tent of meeting to meet with God. 
But there's never anybody's name listed other than Moses and Joshua who went into that tent. But Moses went often, evidently. I see there in verse 9, when Moses would go into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. You see, Moses is finding, if I'm going to get this people back to where we need to be with God, I need to spend some extended time with God, not only to understand his perspective of what's happening here, but to make sure that my relationship with him is so strong that I will not do as Aaron did and succumb to the peer pressure of the people. I'll be able to lead the people as they need to be led. Whenever the people saw that the pillar of cloud was standing at the entrance to the tent because God was meeting with Moses, they all stood and worshiped anxious to hear what Moses would tell him when he came out of that tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Wow, talk about an intimate relationship, huh? It took a long time for he and God to develop that. What's that look like in your life and in mine? And how hungry are you for that kind of a relationship with God? Then Moses, after he'd had an encounter with God, he'd leave the tent and go back to the camp to tell the people what God said. But do you see the next line? But his young aide Joshua, the son of Nun, would not leave the tent. I love that. Something had awakened inside of young Joshua. Whatever this relationship between God and Moses is, that Moses actually feels comfortable in the very presence of God asking any question. I want that, Moses, uh, Joshua was saying. So when Moses would leave, Joshua would stay, and evidently he was developing that conversant relationship with God, what Joshua didn't know was that God was preparing the next leader. Young Joshua, who, when Moses finally died, would receive the mantle of leadership, and he would lead the people into the new land. And he could do it because of this. He had developed that, may I call it almost a fearless relationship with God. My brothers in this room, all of us as men who are married and have families, as God continues to grow our character to be God-honoring men, May I urge you, like Moses and Joshua, to allow to awaken within you a desire to know God like this. Because our wives and our children and our grandchildren need us to be able to come out of our prayer time with God in the morning or whenever you meet with God to say, I've met with God. And here's what he's saying to me about our family and our journey. They need you to be able to take them into the tent of meeting, whatever that looks like in your home, to meet with God when you've got important family decisions to make, like the Holdens here, thinking they're coming back from BFA to America for a furlough time to see family and friends, but I'm assuming you're talking about Faith Academy in, in Manila that desperately needs you, and you redirect from the United States to Manila, Philippines. How could that happen? It happens when a man and his wife have such a relationship with God that they can discern when God is saying, I'm redirecting your course, your journey. Amen? Can you do that? Do you know God that well? And as you're walking the journey of life, can you be confident that you're not meandering and wandering all over the place, but you're tracking with God? He would love that with you. He's designed you for that. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't told me whom you'll send with me to lead them. <laughs> if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you. How's your hunger there, my dear friends? David wrote, give me an undivided heart that I may 
know you, O God. Teach me your ways so that I may know you and find favor with you, so that I may lead these people. Remember, this nation is your people. And the Lord replied to Moses, My presence will go with you, and as I go with you, I'll give you rest. Isn't that a good word? And that's where Moses said, Well, if your presence doesn't, if your presence doesn't go with us, please don't send us from here. Because I can't even imagine taking one step out into that desert, O oh God, without you. How would anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people? What else would distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the planet than your presence? What distinguishes you and your family from all the other people on the face of the planet? Is it God's presence in your home, in your family? that you're seeking to honor? Is it this relationship, this communication relationship with God that you're developing? Is that what is distinctive about you? Moses says, God, I I want more. Show me your glory. (laughs) God says, whoa, Moses. (laughs) There is a place near me, he says, where I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and as I walk by, I'll remove my hand, and you can see my back. And then God says to Moses, chapter 34, tomorrow morning, get ready. Come up the mountain. Prepare yourself. Come and meet with me. I have yet so much more I want to tell you. I want to take our relationship, Moses, even deeper. And as you come up the mountain, I will come down and meet with you there. When you read chapter 34, it says God came down and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, Jehovah. The Lord in Moses' presence. He was up there another 40 days, and at the end of chapter 34, you see this remarkable statement. Moses came down off the mountain, and he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had been speaking with God. (laughs) And the people had to say, Moses, put a veil over your face. Cover yourself up. You're too bright. Isn't that what America needs? our world needs radiant people who are living our lives every single day propelled by our time with God empowered by our relationship with God certain in our journey that we're following God as he's leading us huh radiant how do we in revert back to a normal that is not a distorted new normal. First we step back. God, how did we get to this place? Then we step up. God, we need your answers. We need to know you. We need to ask you to tell us what needs to change in us. We need to invite you to do that change work in us so that we become a radiant people so that we can then invite our families and our nation. Come with us. Let's go back. Not back to what was, but to what should have been all along. A God-honoring people that our world desperately needs. Do you agree? A radiant people. We have communion, as you can see, that the men are going to serve us in just a moment. That's the core of it, isn't it? (laughs) You and I can be those kinds of people as Jesus Christ rescues us from the drift, the downward spiral. 
forgives us of our sins, breaks the hold of the things that were in our lives, heals us, restores us into a whole new relationship with Him, empowers us, teaches us, guides us. Yeah. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you may remember, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? That's living a radiant life, isn't it? As the Holy Spirit radiates from us. You're not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your life. Your body, your mind, your heart, your relationships, your words, right? It's our theme verse, isn't it? And would you say it with me as we prepare to take communion? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's talk to him right now. Lord Jesus Christ, as we step into the throne room of God to consider to consider, oh God, where are each of us in the journey of life? Are some of us drifting, God? We're, we're turning away from you. Are some of us allowing other things to capture our, our passions and our priorities? Have we actually come to a place, God, where we're perhaps occasionally worshiping things or people other than you? God, honestly now, are some of us living a new normal that is a distorted reality of your design for us? Why don't you ask God to show you this morning what he would like to do in your life to change whatever distortion might be there and to reestablish between you and him the kind of a relationship that Moses had with him so that you would be a, a radiance of Jesus Christ as you live your life. Here at Calvary, you don't need to be a member of Calvary Community Church to join us in communion. We only ask, please, that you are certain that you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior at some point in your life journey. And we urge all of us in this moment, in a quiet moment of reflection with Jesus Christ, to be sure that our lives are in the place of relationship with Jesus, that we are going to honor him as we take the communion and not dishonor him. As our worship leaders lead us in some reflective worship music, this is a wonderful moment, my friends, for you and Jesus to have some very special time of conversation. Invite him to show you what he is doing and what he would like to do in your life. And if he shows you anything that you need to confess or repent of, don't hesitate to do that with him. Invite him to cleanse you and heal you and restore you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, now is a perfect moment to do that. Quietness of your heart, just acknowledging that, yes, you know you need a Savior. Inviting Jesus Christ to be that Savior in your life. Recognizing that he paid the full price so God could forgive your sin. We worship you, Lord Jesus Christ, with communion. <laughs>